Hey everyone, Joe from theflipking.com. Really excited about today's podcast. This comes from a gentleman that works in my direct market, my local market. His name is Paul Allenby. And Paul is just an absolute slew of knowledge. It's a very real interview, a very raw interview. It gets right to the heart of, uh, well, you'll see, Paul's an opinionated guy. So it's, uh, it's great to hear his take on it. He's been in the business nearly 20 years doing this, talking to sellers, putting deals together, really just hustling. And the thing I love about Paul, and I talk about it in the podcast, is just what an awesome hustler and a guy that's not afraid to get his hands dirty, knock on some doors, talk to some sellers directly, takes great notes, knows how to follow up with people. Man, all the good things that you expect of a salesperson. And guys and girls, at the end of the day, that's what we all are. I mean, if you want to be successful, you need to be a salesperson. Paul's one of those just great salespeople. And uh, I think you'll get that when you, uh, when you listen to this podcast. So without further ado, let's get started. Hey, guys and girls, Joe Evangelisti here from theflipking.com. Just wanted to check in with you. I'm out here uh, enjoying a cold one, sitting outside, overlooking a country club here in beautiful New Jersey. For those of you who aren't from New Jersey, there are parts that are beautiful. Just wanted to uh, introduce a good friend of mine, a fellow investor, a local investor here in New Jersey, who's doing a lot of big deals and um, has been doing them for a long time. Uh, his name is Paul Allenby, and Paul is a, uh, I would like to call, an old-school uh, investor. Paul would probably agree with that because of the way that uh, he comes up with a lot of his deals. So uh, I want to introduce Paul, and we'll ask him a couple questions, and um, you know, hopefully you guys find some great value in this. So uh, here's Paul Allenby. Paul, welcome to the show. Hi, Joe. Glad to be here. Awesome, awesome. Paul, you have, a, uh, you have an old-school philosophy for... Uh, how you come up with these deals, and um, you know how you're how you're dealing with sellers in general. I mean, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that, and, and, and how you find a lot of your uh, a lot of your traffic. Uh, good question. I could tell you the salespeople that we have together, and everybody that I see in the business. I've done seminars before. They always ask, "Where do you get your houses?" <laughs> and as a joke, I tell them all, "I get them from the list." And they always go, what list? There is no list. It's all about that hard work. If you have no money, don't even, aren't even able to afford signage, uh, no connections, do yourself a favor and start driving by houses in different neighborhoods. Take five, we have a criterion on our salespeople, Joe and I, that's five a week. If you want to get more aggressive, do five a day. At one point, six or seven years ago, as I told Joe earlier, I did 40 houses a day, four days a week for three months. And we made a quarter of a million dollars off of those houses. I tracked it directly. Profit on rehab houses. You know, I love that. And actually, it was funny because I was having a conversation last week uh, with a guy, I believe he was from Colorado, who had uh, hit us up on the uh, on the blog, sent me an email and asking me, you know, Joe, how do you find sellers? And uh, you know, this guy was he was he was emailing, or I'm sorry, uh, direct mailing uh, pre NOD lists and pre foreclosure lists, and it was something that you know one of the gurus had taught him. I had suggested get get old school with it, start what I call driving for dollars. You know, knock, excuse me, knocking on sellers' doors. 
going out there, taking taking a actual action, person to person, face to face, looking for vacant properties in nice neighborhoods, and um, trying to put a deal together. I mean, tell me your take on that. Is that kind of something you've been doing for a while? <clears throat> yes, and one of my old uh, money partners drove around with me one Saturday. I'll never forget. He goes, "Tell me about this methodology." <laughs> Because he was the one we made the money with. Sure. I said, well, look, see that one there and that one there? I said, it's got to look bad, but not too bad. Functionally obsolescent, we don't want that. For people in the know, that's bungalows, things that you need to build closets with and trunk up air conditioning to the second floor, returns. We don't want that. We want normally mid-century ranchers, little two-stories. That's our, you know golden child that's your sweet spot right? that's yeah that's what you really want we don't you know we're not into victorians and we're not uh into any any of those types of things that are you know have wobbly foundations and fieldstone basements and things along that line sure sure so you know i think a lot of our listeners well i mean the good deal of our listeners who are new at the business i mean the same thing that this uh this uh, listener had asked me last week which was you know, what's your magic recipe? What's your secret sauce? Like, oh my God, you get out of the car and you knock on the door and, and the seller answers, right? It's, it's the scariest the scariest thing that could ever happen. The seller answers the door. What do you say to a seller that answers the door that has one of these houses that you think could be a good fit for you? First of all, not one has bitten me yet. <laughs> not one. Nobody's even growled at me. It's amazing. It's, well, what I did years ago... GPS is prevalent now, so nobody asks anybody for directions. And what I would do is actually drive up and down streets in my old truck that Joe knows, my old Ranger, and very unobtrusive, non-threatening. You don't want to drive around in a big Benzo, you know, in a, in a working-class neighborhood. That doesn't make sense. And I'd say, hey, uh, can you give me a hand? Can you help me out? And you, they'd slide all over like, who is this guy? Say, yo, uh... That house over there, do you know anybody? You know anything about it? Get the conversation going. And normally, if you go into a particular neighborhood, you'll see like little old ladies that are there every day. Or look for Crown Victorias. Older retired people, they drive Crown Vicks, GM cars. This may sound ridiculous, but that's what they drive. And if you're out there looking, look for a house that has, you know, generally a good look, but Perhaps the landscaping's not so good, or the, the what you call them, sort of cockeyed, the, uh, the, the shades. The shades, uh, the shades are, and the shutters. Yeah, okay. you know, and it just looks unkempt, but not too bad. Sure. That's what I look for. All right, so you're generally looking for, you know, something so far that is, is not functionally obsolescent, but maybe aesthetically obsolescent, needs some work, landscaping's out of shape, definitely looking for an older car. I mean, generally, I mean, it sounds like you're kind of looking for an older demographic, someone who's, you know, been there for a long time. I mean, generally, what are the benefits of finding someone who's been living in a house for, say, 40 years? I mean, I know it's obvious to you, but tell our audience what it is that something like that makes sense and why it makes sense. Great question. And why the listeners will do better faster is that they won't go to the MLS and go for bank-owned properties. When you do that, you don't know how much mold's been in there. You don't know if it's been vacant for five years. There's probably no utilities on. In fact, there's definitely no utilities on. Who knows if there's any pipes left. We buy properties that are owned by people that care. Maybe they get older and they don't have so much money or the siblings live far away. The utilities are on. 
and we have control because we can solve their problems and settle when they want. I always love to tell people, and I love, and I love what you're saying there. I mean, you're looking for homes that are, you know, potentially been maintained, even if aesthetically they haven't been updated. And I always tell people, you know, I love buying properties that have been owned for 40, 50 years, because generally what happened was, you know, if you lived in a property for 40 or 50 years, you may have done. Your, your little handyman mechanic stuff in the first 10 or 20 years of living in the home. But the older you get, the generally the more you're going to hire professionals. I mean, you don't see a 90-year-old man trying to put in a new kitchen or his own HVAC system. So when you're dealing with someone that's been in a home for 50 years, they may have done a little bit of their own handyman stuff, but you're not talking someone who in the last 10 years has decided to renovate the entire house the wrong way and create more of a problem for you than you, than you can see from the onset um, and create hidden disasters and i.e., for example, um, you know, electrical behind the walls and things like that, you're generally talking, for someone, talking about someone who's been in the property and has, again, over the course of 50 years, have, has pretty well maintained it. I mean, it's been their home for 50 years. So we're not dealing with those kind of major issues that you might come across otherwise, especially in a bank-owned property. And for those that are listening, I mean, I would suggest that, again, your first deal, um, unless it's a really cherry deal and the numbers are really good, um, you know, be careful with bank-owned properties. And in our in our area, in the Northeast especially, I mean, we deal with hot and cold in four different climates and four different Maybe seasons. And, you know, what's going to happen when you buy something that's bank-owned? It's been winterized. You don't know how long it's been it's been vacant. You don't know if those pipes were burst before they were winterized or if that system that's been turned off is, was working before it was turned off, the electrical, the plumbing, and so forth. You hit on a great point, Joe. Joe. The banks don't care, and typically people that bought bank-owned properties that are bank-owned now bought them from 03 to 08 or 09, so they weren't invested or vested in it. It wasn't their home per se. So, yeah, they're ready to bug out. They don't care about landscaping. They don't care about grading. Grading's an important Mm -hmm. scenario. You know, things infiltrate in the basements and the crawl spaces. They just didn't care as much as the people we deal with that are baby boomers most of the time and you know they they took care of the big components they got termite certs and you know if there was a leak they dealt with it and they didn't just chop down a tree by whacking at the branches they went to the root of the problem okay yeah no i agree with you there i mean i think the thing is that you know i think what paul's talking about is you know when you when you were in it in 03 04 05 by the time you were in it, in our market at least, and again, this is going to be different for every market in, in the country because up here we deal with a lot of weather changes and things like that. And I'm sure there's all idiosyncrasies for different states of, the, of, of you know of the country, but around here it's you know if you didn't take care of the problem, a water water is a big basement issue. A, water, a big um, water intrusion, I'm sorry, is a big uh, issue in our area. And um, you know if you don't take care of it correctly, let's say you bought a house in '03 and then you had water in the basement three or four times in the course it took. Uh, that you owned it, and then you know you went into foreclosure. Well, that water issue was never addressed, and for us, I mean, that could be a five, ten, twenty thousand dollar proper uh, prop, uh, problem to deal with. So you know, I think what Paul's talking about is is very um, potential of that type of thing throughout the country. And you know, every every area is going to have their own their own issue with that. But in our area, water intrusion is a bit big a big deal. So Paul, let me ask you the next question. So you're talking to a seller. Let's say you do. Uh, let's let's fast forward a little bit. You you've talked to the neighbors, you've gotten the seller's contact, you've gotten a meeting with them. What do you feel is the the key thing to actually putting the deal together? If you had to name, let's say, your top 
one or two items or priorities when meeting with a seller. What do you go into that meeting and what do you, what do you hope to achieve from it? It's uh, build rapport and build rapport. <laughs> Those are it. This has very little to do with business. It has everything to do with, there's an old saying from back before Joe was in real estate, and it's universal. People don't care what you know until they know you care. So if you spend the time, slow down, understand that this was something that was a personal thing to them for a half a century. They'll show you, uh, you know, pennants in the wall in the basement. You know, we had parties down here. This is a big deal to them. This is part of their soul. You have to understand that. And it really isn't about how much money they'll get. It's about how much you'll take care of it. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love what you just said right there about the fact that it's it's a rapport building piece. I mean, the thing is, I heard from someone a long time ago when I first got in this business that you have to build rapport, you have to talk to people, you have to understand what we call their pain points, and you have to come up with a solution. Now, it took me a long time to figure that out, and I see a lot of gurus, too many gurus nowadays, teaching. You know, when you're when you're talking to a seller at the beginning. Um, you know, going right for, okay, what do you owe on the property and how much do you want for it, you know? And I can't tell you, and, and I know you can agree with this because we both have the same experience, how many people that I've, I've talked to over the phone, and one way or the other, they kind of told me what they wanted for the house. You know, let's say the house is worth 200 they, they told me, oh, they want 190 or 180 and I thought over the phone, that's not worth my time. But when we went out there and we met with them and we built rapport with them and explained to them the situation that we've gotten for a much, much less number. I mean, you agree with that? No doubt. And I can tell you this may sound counterintuitive to everybody that's listening. People have sold properties for me for less than they could have sold them to others because we care. Yeah, no no doubt. No doubt about that. In fact, I, uh, I actually just did a case study, or, or you will be seeing a case study here soon, about a property that I bought in my hometown that uh, I paid $30,000 less than the other competitive builder just because that person developed a rapport with me, had heard some bad news about that other builder, and chose to act you know, in my favor other than the other builder's favor. So you know, I think what Paul's saying here about the priority being around the rapport, man, that's a huge thing. You can't, you can, you can move worlds with rapport once you develop it, once you learn how to ask questions, and once you learn how to know people. And, and you know, Paul, tell me about you know, technology nowadays and how nobody wants to know people. Nobody wants to get in touch in face-to-face conversations with people. And it's not a people. It's not a people planet right now, and I, I, it drives us both nuts, right? Well, I can tell you, title people that we deal with, I usually send them an email that says, "Pick up the phone, please. Here's my number." <laughs> and we have wholesalers that we deal with a lot, and other people that want to text me offers and/or negotiate. My policy is, and should be for everybody out there, I don't negotiate by text yeah. or email. That's it. Yeah. You have to know what they're saying, know how they're saying it, uh, understand those buzz phrases that we hear. Yeah. There's money in listening. That's why you have two ears and one mouth. You should listen twice as much as you talk. Well, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think that, you know, there's so many, I think Paul used the word nuances. You know, in speech, when we're talking to people one-on-one, direct, whether it be over the phone or in person, and I always prefer in person when I'm talking with a seller, but, you know, you start to learn body language. You start to learn, you know, what the seller feels comfortable with, what they don't feel comfortable with. 
I mean, for those of you who are listening, I mean, I learned this long, long time ago in my business. You know, when somebody crosses their arms when you're in a conversation, they're turning you off. They're tuning you out. You know, and I always, I, I never knew that for a long, long time. And, and, and I was in a real estate salesperson for a long time, and I still am. Um, I've been in listing appointments where, you know, the husband crossed his arms when I was doing the listing presentation. They're turning you off. You know, listen, you can't get that over text. Let's be honest. Nobody's going to cross their arms on a Twitter. You know, so you have to be in person. You have to be able to talk to them. And, you know, my personal philosophy is, you know, if the number is off, it's one thing if you're on the phone with somebody. But if you feel like you can still put something together or they have a motivation to sell, I'm still going to have that meeting with them. Do you agree with that, Paul? There's absolutely no doubt about it. You must get that personal contact. And if you think you don't have time... This is what we do this for. Yep. If it takes an hour or two or three hours and you make fifty or 60000 did you waste your time? Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> Let's stop being in a world where it's bip, bip, bam, bam, bang, bang, bang. You know, I can't stand that stuff anymore. <laughs> I just can't. Yeah. you got to go meet them. you got to feel it. And, you know, we deal with houses with people problems. Yep. And you have to be there and you have to take the time. The wholesalers that I deal with and Joe deals with they're like, oh, yeah, that needs 10 or 15. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you spend more than a minute there? I don't think so. Did you spend any time there is really the question. Or anything at all. Like, oh, look <laughs> at these comps. Look at Zillow. Come on now. Yeah. You know. You know, like I said, that's why I love having Paul on the show because, you know, he's definitely more old school. And I don't mean that in a, in a bad way. I mean it because it's there's right no school. one like it. It's right school. There's no, one, there's no one that does it, you know, quite the way I, Paul, I know Paul does it nowadays. And I mean, it's not to say there's no one, but there's few. Few is a better word. Everyone's listening to gurus. Everyone's sending out 5,000 pieces of mail. Everyone's taking every phone call right now and going right to the point and asking for the price. And let me tell you right now, Paul and I are stealing deals left and right from people that are doing it that way because they they're not taking the time to develop the rapport. You know, there's a lot of different ways to skin the cat, if you want to say it that way, or, you know, make this business work. There are guys that are making this business work by sending out 10,000, 15,000 postcards a month and narrowing that down to 10 deals a month. Paul and I prefer to make uh, 10 contacts into five transactions, and the ratio and the time spent, pretty darn similar. You're going to end up with the same results, but you're going to spend the time knowing the seller. And I'm gonna, I, wanna, I just want to tell a personal story right now while, while, we're, while we have you guys here about how I just received a repeat referral. Now, Paul's been in the business a lot longer than I have, and he's received a lot more repeat referrals. But I just put a contract uh, on a property that was the second home I bought from the same gentleman. He called me a year ago, and I bought his mother-in-law's house from him. And now, about a year later, not even a year later, probably nine months later, his mother passed away. And now I have her house under contract. So, you know, this rapport stuff, listen, if you have a bad rapport or a bad relationship with a seller, even if you go to settlement with them, maybe you have a bad rapport and you buy it anyway, um, if you're not showing them the courtesy of spending some time to talk with them, they're not going to call you back the next time something happens or someone else is, uh, you know, in in need of selling a home. So this rapport thing is huge, and, and I think that, you know, if I have to say one thing about Paul, it's it's he's great at developing rapport. Um, you know, in the, in the millions of talks and hours that we've spent talking about real estate investing, that's the one takeaway I have from Paul is to spend the time to uh, to make sure that you're actually uh, developing a relationship with your seller. And sometimes, I mean, Paul, what's your record? How long has it taken you? One, to, you know, let's say your your longest time it took you to develop a rapport to actually buy a house. Oh God, I mean, that's a that's a good question. I mean, there's been times when. I've gone back and forth for two years uh, at 10-minute blips every couple months. Other times, 
I was on an appointment about a month ago where I connected so deeply with this person that she actually started to cry yeah. because I listened and I think it's been the first time for her in quite a while. Absolutely. It's, that someone's listened to her, right? I mean, that someone's even listened to her problems. We all want autonomy. Yeah. We all want to be listened to. And I ask every listener, if you grew up in a house and you lived there 30 years, who are you going to sell to? Some guy goes, oh, well, guess it's worth 100 Or somebody who takes the time to feel what you have and how they can make it better and you should feel better at who you pass off this property to. We are stewards in this country. We don't own land. We don't own property. We are stewards. This is God's property. <laughs> Maybe a little deep. I, I wish the listeners could see how much energy is coming out of this man right now. It's pretty, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty energetic here. Now, listen, I, I think Paul makes some great points. Um, I think that uh, his takeaways are to, uh, to make sure that, that, that you're spending time to invest in, in that deal. Look, guys, guys and girls that are listening to this, we sell and buy and, and flip and, and, and wholesale, and I don't care what you call it. We act in real estate, and it's going to be a people business for as long as there are people owning and buying and selling real estate. So I think one of my biggest takeaways from Paul is to, to be able to continue um, to make it a people business and to make sure that you know if you want your business to grow and last and, and, and flourish, you have to connect with human beings. And I don't care if that's the seller that we're talking about specifically, which we've spent most of the episode talking about, or if it's other investors, or if it's or if it's buyers that you're working with who are going to take the deal from you if you're wholesaling, or if it's buyers who are going to buy the deal from you after your rehab. It. You know, it's a very much a people business. And if that's the one takeaway from this episode, I hope you all get something out of that. And I hope that it takes you a little bit away from the, the common core guru mentality right now, which is, numbers, numbers, which is numbers, 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 phone calls, phone calls, postcards, postcards. Hey, listen, all that stuff works. I'm not saying we don't do that, but we build rapport after the fact. If I send out 1,000 postcards and I get 100 or, or 200 contacts uh, and we're calling those contacts, we're trying to build rapport with those contacts. We're not just trying to fleece them for whatever it is that we can and buy the home as, as, cheap, as, as cheaply as we can. We're trying to figure out their situation and we're trying to make it work from there. You know, again, none of this, uh, none of this podcast, none of this episode, none of, none of what we're saying is legal advice or, or financial advice. You guys have to hire your own, your own attorneys, your own CPAs. Um, this is real life stuff. This is what we're going through on a day to day basis. And uh, it's human advice, right? It is human advice. <laughs> I got to give you that. You but listen, don't need we always a CPA or an ESQ for that. It's all CYA, though, Paul. Right? I mean, we're talking to thousands and thousands of people who tune into this episode. Who think that everything we say is uh, is, is set in stone? Listen, we this don't is have how any we contracts, do contracts, do we? Paul and I have no contracts. <laughs> Paul and I buy properties all the time. Uh, none of this is set in stone, but it's all our advice because we're giving the advice off of what we do on a daily basis. So while it's advice, it's also our day-to-day operation. So anyway, I hope that uh, you enjoy this episode. Paul, any closing words? Go out, and I always remember the little visual I got from a salesperson 25 years ago. He drew a big circle with a belly button in it and another one with another belly button in it, and he put a 25 on top. He said, want to be good in sales? Everybody's like, yes! He's like, talk to 25 people belly to belly every day. I love that. I love that. Get in front of people. Talk to people. Get in front of people and see your business soar. And uh, I wish you guys great success. Thanks for tuning into to theflipking.com. Check out our blog. Check out our website. 
please comment. We're going to be offering uh, free some some nice freebies for people who go on our, our uh, iTunes account and comment there. Or if you check us out at the Flip King and send us your comments. Also, feel free to hit me up at joe at theflipking.com. Got some great, great comments in the last couple weeks. Again, it's joe at theflipking.com. Questions, comments, concerns, things you want to hear about, future episodes that you want to talk about or you want to get involved in. We're going to probably in the next two weeks here start actually answering your questions live on the podcast. And I'm looking forward to that. So, again, it's Joe at the Flip King. Have a great day to your success. <laughs>